When we started thinking about what Rejected Central might look like, one of the things Dave and I were most excited to do was to feature and share rejection stories from our fellow rejects with the goal of elevating the rejection experience. Now, we've shared some small moment stories so far, and we've had some wonderful guests. But in this episode, that dream becomes even more real because we have right here someone who reached out with a rejection suggestion and who graciously agreed to hang out and share it with us. <laughs> Joining us is Margaret Wilding, a registered physiotherapist from Hamilton and a friend of Dave's and mine. Hi, Margaret. Welcome to Rejected Central. Hey, Brent. It's great to have you here. And I'm thank you happy so to be here. Now, we always ask our guests to start with a bit of a rejection story, just to break the ice a little bit. Sure. What have you been thinking about? So many rejections I could list. <laughs> well, oh, how to here we are. We have something where you can yeah. have an outlet. So, Well, I had to assume that this would be heard locally, so I had to wean it down even further. But many years ago, when I was applying to physio school... Um, I was rejected the first time. So you ha I had to do this aptitude test, intelligence test, all this stuff. It's really, I, like, what does that got to do with, like, like those number sequence things? And I was like, I, just like I, don't, I, don't, I had no idea how to do it. So the next year, when I was doing the same form, I was looking at this form. And back in the day, this was like 80s. The Someone who had the paper had written on had written on it. So like a number sequence, one to four. They had written plus three, and then the next number. So they, all the little clues were written in there, and so I passed. Well done. <laughs> so the rejection part of this story is that you were worried about it, but in the end, you had a little help. I had a little help. All right. It's actually the story of my entire career. So Margaret, you reached out a story about someone named Dr. John Epley, who's right. an ear, nose, and throat specialist and a surgeon in the ear specifically from yep. Oregon, the late Dr. Epley, yes, I should say. that's right who developed a rather remarkable treatment for a common but really debilitating condition, chronic vertigo. So let's just go really basic first. Tell me about vertigo. So and, vertigo. And, and it, because you're a physiotherapist, yeah. maybe also bring in to how it affects you or not affects you. Maybe also bring in how you treat it and sure. how you encounter it. Sure. So vertigo is a sensation of your surroundings moving when they're actually not moving. So one form of that would be the room is spinning and you know the room is not spinning. Uh, the most common cause of vertigo is something called BPPV, benign positional paroxysmal vertigo. So BPPV, obviously, much easier to say. Yeah. And it is benign. It's not, it's not a tumor. It's not a fracture. It's not, it's not going to kill you, but it's, it can be absolutely debilitating. Um, you might not be able to drive because of it. You might not be able to get out of your chair because of it. Right. And we're not talking about that brief sensation that we all get if we stand up too quickly. Like that's a, that's a kind of vertigo, but we're talking about chronic vertigo. Yes. That affects people yes. in a longer term, aren't It's we? also called paroxysmal, which just means it sort of comes and goes. So it's a kind of thing that when you lie down at night, the room might spin a little bit, but it goes away in 30 seconds. So, you know, don't, sometimes people don't really even care about it that much because it's fairly minor but it can be absolutely debilitating and, and it causes nausea as well people can throw up because of it and you just cannot function so being whether or not it's debilitating would depend on how severe it is exactly. and how long it lasts exactly okay exactly and what normally triggers it well bppv is triggered by uh, a dysfunction of the inner ear where instead of having the normal fluid in the inner ear you have little bone particles that move from where they're supposed to be into the channels where the where the fluid is so instead of the fluid having a certain movement 
because there's basically little rocks in it, the, the sensation of, of fluid moving is completely distorted. So your brain thinks you're moving, but you're actually not. So the, these, these fluid-filled um, canals in your inner ear, um, every time you move your head, if you can picture yourself up, I've got my glass of water here. If I kind of get this thing swirling around, like if I turn my head, there's a, there's a response to that water right. when I turn this glass. Like you would turn your head. Yeah, so I turn so my head. So the movement of the body and the head yeah. will affect how those little particles move through or don't yeah. move through the yeah. fluid. Okay, okay. Yeah, and if you can picture again this glass, you know, if, I, if I turn my glass quickly, if there were little hair sensors on the inside leading to my brain, that would pick up the difference of me being still right. or me having movement. Okay. So your brain is calibrated to that. Um, but if there's rocks in there, right. it totally distorts that that whole system. And it's a very incredibly interesting system. So it, it detects movement. And these there's three of these little canals. There's one that's horizontal. Right. Uh, there's one that's like a little uh, crown over your head. So it goes, so if, you're, if like you you're drop tilting your, your head side to exactly. side to your shoulders. Yeah. yeah. Or if you dip your nose up and down. Okay. So the three, basically three planes of movement. Right. And these little canals in your inner ear are set literally at 90 degree angles to each other. It's like if you were going to design a motion sensor, that's exactly what you would do. Okay. It's so cool. Okay. It's absolutely amazing. Now, for most of us, if we have a bout of vertigo, it passes normally. Yep. Um, and we move and we get we go on with our day. Yes. Uh, if it's something that is more chronic and needs to have treatment, what historically was done to help people with vertigo? Well, this is the amazing thing. So first of all, nobody knew what those little canals did. Right. Like if you look at the anatomy of the brain or the anatomy of the skull, you could see these little things, but nobody knew what they did. And so what they, they knew that there's something related to them. So if they clipped the nerve that came from that part of my inner ear, the vertigo would go away because now that sensation is not being transmitted to but the hold brain. But like clipping a nerve, that sounds really invasive. It is barbaric, actually. Okay, because it would probably affect balance, too. Abso yes, yeah, yeah. yes, Brent, 100% would affect balance. It Ouch. was awful. Yeah. Because they thought that there was something wrong with the inner ear, which was true, but they thought it was like a mass or a tumor or something, or they thought it might have been something wrong with your brain because this uh, these messages have to go into your brain, they're processed in your brain. But was it, that kind of a like? Uh, was there medications or anything that they you could can, use? You can't have medications. That feels very last resort to me. It's terrible. It was a terrible situation. Right. Absolutely awful. Uh, and the other thing was, so let me let me tell you this, or let me ask you this. Sure. Say if I said to you, "Hey, uh, Brent, you know what? Every time I get up, I get really dizzy," and you're like, "Well, you look fine to me. Mm. Well, let's do a head. Let's do an X-ray. There's nothing there. Let's do a CT scan. There's nothing there. Guess what? You're going to tell me I'm crazy. Uh. Like I don't understand. And this is what we honestly a lot of medical professionals do including myself i have to admit if you can't understand something it's so tempting to think the person is nuts because it doesn't make sense and that's not just with vertigo there's a lot no, of problems yeah. that people will have chronically yeah we hear a lot about pain these sure days and people not being able to communicate just how real the pain is absolutely even if there's nothing on the scans there's nothing in the blood work 100%. there's nothing in the x-rays you're crazy like that yeah you're making it up so uh, Particularly if it's a workers' compensation claim sure. or it's because of a car accident. They need tangibles or they yeah. want tangibles. Yeah. And if you can't produce those tangibles, then they assume, unfortunately, yeah. I would imagine that you're 
making it up or, uh, yes. they, or you know, if they're not assuming you're being dishonest, they certainly just put up their hands and say, I'm sorry, we can't do anything for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. So this was a situation, it was absolutely terrible. So this was, so 70s, this was in the 70s or so. And so if you had a car accident or you hit your head or something, also very common after concussions, um, you, you could, you could lose your license to drive. You could lose your ability to do your job. Uh, and, and nobody could explain why. And your family thinks you're crazy. Yeah. Wow. And especially in the States, of course, where you're spending money every time you go to a doctor. Of course. So now you're bankrupt also. It was absolutely a disaster if you happen to get this condition. And he just thought there must be something we can do. And he was, a, he, uh, we can, you can ask me another question about this. Sure. But he would tinker. So when he was, when he was at, uh, I think it was in Stanford, he developed a cochlear implant, which I'm not 100% sure exactly how that works. Right. But he, he was prepared to tinker and he was happy to kind of tinker with things and sort of look at things. And so he and an audiologist were kind of looking at the ear and thinking, what the heck is going on here? And why is it there? So why do you get so dizzy? And actually, one of the things that the ear does is allows you to keep your eyes locked onto a target. Sure. So this head movement monitoring is mm -hmm. so important. It's all connected. Yeah, because your brain uses that information to keep your eyes steady. So when this goes wrong, your eyes twitch all over the place. Okay. And it's creepy, it's scary, but it passes. So it will pass. So as long as I just stay still, these little crystals will stop moving. So my eyes will stop moving. So Dr. Epley was like, why does that happen? Why does it happen when you move and then it stops? And so he figured it's got to be mechanical. It's not a tumor. You know, it's not like pain. Like if you, um, well, some, some pain is mechanical. If, if, if you, sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. if it's an infection or something, yeah. it's kind of there 24-7. So if this is something in your brain, why does it come and go? And so he was like, it cannot be anything except a mechanical problem. So he started to evaluate the inner ear um, just mechanically. And, and, and so he came up with these. He came up with a theory that he said, something's got to be moving in there. And it reminds me of when they deduced the position of Pluto or something, like 500 years ago. Okay. They, they, the astrologers of the time, they said, you know, these other stars are moving funny. There's got to be something else there. Or the other planets are moving funny. And so they were able to deduce the position of, I don't even know what planet it was. Sure. But just based on how everything else was moving. Which is a completely amazing to me. Yeah. That they can look at the gravitational and how light bends around yeah, a star. And they exactly. can say, right, well, that means there's a black hole. Yes. Nearby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was using this observational, yeah. um, looking sort of cause and effect, but he couldn't see the direct cause. He yes. could see the effects and he started to manipulate things. Now we're talking, I think the, this was the late 1970s, right? We're talking yep. 1978, 79. Yep. Um, so they didn't have ready access to MRIs at that point. I don't. Well, it's so think. small. These little cat scans. They don't show up. These little, these little. Um, they're called otoconia. They're like little bone uh, fragments. Drop some good knowledge. Otoconia. On well done. Yes. Well, we usually just call them ear crystals, but they're basically little. <laughs> that's a that's a more gentle way. <laughs> well, it's not wrong, actually. Or rocks. <laughs> rocks. Ear rocks. We do say ear that rocks. too. Ear rocks and ear yeah. crystals. Yeah, um, but they're so tiny. They don't show up. And even if you did see them, if they're not moving, you wouldn't understand what was happening. So it was hard for, it was hard to see it. He had to figure it out. He had to do all the manipulations and observe the effects. of. Yes, that. exactly. So what did he do? So what he did was he would, he put these goggles on people so he could see their eye movement. Because if you've had this, if you've had this condition for a long time, like a lot of other things, your body does adapt. So the eyes don't move so much. Okay. Unless 
you have these goggles on, the person's in pitch black, and they have no external references. No stimuli to make them move their eyes. Yeah. Consciously or yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. So you remove. So if I ca- if I can't see the horizon, I have nothing to sort of say. Okay, this is up. Your brain's like I have no idea what's happening. So it cannot it cannot control the eyes, and so the eyes just move the way they do with when the otoconia start to move. So he put these goggles on people. He could see the movement, and he actually he got a chair kind of like yours, like a little NASA chair, and he strapped people in, and he would. And for the record, up. listeners, I have a NASA chair, and that's a first. <laughs> I've never been told that, but I'm keeping it. That's it's what I'm calling chair. it from now on. That's right. So so he would put people in the chair, and he would tip the chair this way and tip it that way, and just see what happened with the goggles, because the uh, the crystals cause particular movements based on which canal is affected. So like there's the one on top, there's the side to side one, there's the head shaking the head side to side this way. All these planes. All these different planes cause different movements in your eyes. And he could just start to see, okay, if I do this, this happens. If I do this, this happens. And so, um, so he found if he did, he looked at the structure of the ear and said, okay, if there's crystals in here, just say there is. If I turn the head 180 degrees this way, they should move out of there and go over here. And so he just kind of made that up and through tinkering and watching the eyes and asking how people felt. Like getting getting all the little jumping beans to the end of the rain stick. 100%. <laughs> yes, that's a good that's a good way of putting it. And the plus the rain stick is able to determine the the speed of the of the little jumble things moving and and how many there are, so how aggressive that movement is. But yes, t- Moving the, that's a rain, that's great, that's a great analogy. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I'm going to start using that from now on. (laughs) Right. I am. I'm going to start using that. And so he moved, he was able to manipulate people's, just their head or would he turn the whole body? Well, he would, he would turn the whole chair if people um, had a sore neck or something. If they did not have a sore neck, I, I, they could just lie down on a table and he could just move the head, move the head 90 degrees this way, let it, let everything settle, move the head 90 degrees the other way, let it all settle. And then maybe roll them over onto their tummy, nose down. So he'd take them through these, sort of like a log roll. So they have to kind of move basically through 360 degrees um, of whichever plane you're interested in. Um, is, it, is it left or is it the right? Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, so this is what he he found would work. And people who had literally been sick for months and who were vomiting all over the side of the car on the way to his, on the way to his clinic, they would they would get up and go, it's gone. What? It, it's a miracle. Yeah. And, and that's what happens with this treatment. It's it's there and then it's gone. It's now, it's incredible. That sounds too good to be true. Yes. And we, you know, it's not uncommon nowadays to hear about treatments that are non-invasive. They're new treatments. They're 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 really great. They're supposed to be really effective. Often they don't hold up to scrutiny. What happened when he started telling people about that? That's stuff? true. Because he would want to tell people. Absolutely. Yes. So, so he, he presented at a convention or a big, uh, symposium in California. So he was from Oregon. So he goes down to California and he has, um, he has a patient on stage with him, somebody who has vertigo. He demonstrated it. So the person's just lying down and he would sort of turn the head this way, turn the head that way. And the person would stand up and go, Oh, I feel better now. And, um, how was that received? Uh, it was not received well. Okay, well, I mean, I, I would understand him. why. Yeah. You, I mean, you're, you're at, a, you're at a, a conference or something, and then somebody comes on stage and they say, yes, why, yes, I have vertigo. Doctor, you've cured me. I can understand yeah. to a certain extent why people would say, hold on. Yeah. But 
what happened? Like, did he, how did he win people over? Well, so when he was at medical school as a younger man, he was a very popular classmate and he was very good at explaining things to other people. He took time with his patients. So his, his classmates knew that he was a very sincere clinician, a very good clinician, um, a very smart guy. He figured stuff out. So some of his friends, when they found out he was doing this, they kind of took him up on it and they started to ask him about it. They asked him about his research. So, you know, a, a few people did. But if you didn't understand the, the concept, like the basic anatomy, so if you don't think that these things exist, why would you accept that treatment? Ah, uh, here comes the rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so it's yeah. not even just a matter of seeing someone on stage being manipulated, saying, wow, I feel better. Even him, when he tries to explain why that's happening, that's where the real medical doubt creeps in. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. Because of those little tiny ear dust. Well, the ear function. Crystals. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> so that if the function, that function of the inner ear was not understood. Yeah. And that's, well, that's as that's early in the, as the seventies. It's incredible. That's, even, even nowadays, it, it, the brain and, and how all of those systems, yeah. we know a lot about what they do and, and what happens when you do this and that sort of thing, yeah. but there's still a lot of mystery about how they're all connected so well. Right? Like that's an incredible thing too. It's, it's super incredible. It's, it's amazing actually. Well, it really is. Yeah. So <laughs> he's been rejected. Um, how did he get, oh boy, this is awkward, Brent. <laughs> Physician heal thyself here. Um, how does he get unrejected? I mean, his friends are working for him, but yeah. still there's this piece of the actual data, right? That people aren't. Yeah. So part of the problem is the internet was not around back then. And so, and even, even the concept of a double blind study, like a randomized control study, right? like that's kind of what we all think of now. Like, you know, if someone, someone said there's some medical treatment available based on these five people that I, I saw, you'd think, well, you seeing five people is nothing. You have to have a trial. You have to have a, a big sample size and, you know, all the statistics that go into that. So, so the gold standard is a randomized control trial. And that was kind of new. Like even for, I graduated in 1987 okay. and the idea of using a randomized control trial was news to me. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was not well accepted. It was, it was like who, who had the best reputation, you know, who had the, the shiniest white teeth, you know, that's whose opinions were listened to. That hasn't changed a whole lot in Don't a whole so. lot of areas, really? unfortunately. That, you know what? You're right about that. You know, the dynamic person, the good looking person, oh, yeah. the white teeth from, person. From out of town. <laughs> yeah, right. The person who has the ability to speak well in public yep. will often get more respect, even though that person might say a whole lot less than somebody else, yeah. right? Yeah. So he has this thing. He's, does he get a chance to do the study? Well, he starts to, yes, yeah, so he, so he did, gets a lot of data. Okay. So um, because of these, he, he's able to use these video goggles, he can record that. And okay. so now he has data. Right. So that's one thing. And then that allows him to classify people. You have this type of dizziness. You have this type of dizziness. Oh, because okay. cause it's not, not okay. all dizziness would be BPPV. Sure. It could be, you know, it could be MS. It could be, you know, you actually do have a nerve problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes with, when people get a head injury, the bones of the little skull part that's protecting the inner ear, that gets injured. Right. There's a lot of reasons why you could have dizziness. Sure. But, so it allowed him to say, okay, of these, say a thousand people that have dizziness, these 200 have this vertigo with the rocks kind of thing, BPPV. 
and I had this treatment and the, the success rate is like 95% at least the first time you do it. Just from moving somebody's yes. head yes. or the body. Yes. 95%. It can be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's and an so incredible success yeah, and rate nobody... for something that without any intervention at all, really. No, no it's crazy. Huh. Um, um, so, so he did put this data together and he submitted it to, um, one of the prestigious, um, ear, nose, throat. I can't remember the name of the journal. Sure. And they rejected it. It starts it. with an O. I remember you <laughs> sent me some stuff to look at and I had a look at it and I, I yeah. Or no, it, yep. Something, yep. I, something, something prestigious journal. Um, starts so, with an O. It <laughs> starts with an O. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they said they reject, so they rejected it literally because it, it, flies in the face of the accepted theories of the time oh that and, still happens too doesn't it oh yeah. my goodness yeah and he's like people uh, don't that's like the change point. oh yeah right? yeah and and again in in their defense they did not have the internet they did not have access to sure. information the way now you can think oh what are they doing in new zealand to study ears or whatever right they didn't they just had you know these loud people talking and the most popular person whatever all these handsome people saying the wrong things that's right that's right <laughs> yes <laughs> So, anyway, so yes, yeah, so so it was rejected. So that was that was in the mid '80s. Um, so he still he still is building a reputation though, um, but he's in a kind of a small town. He's in Portland, which right. I don't really think is a big city. So some people, even in his small town, were kind of against him, and and they stopped referring patients to him. So he's a specialist. So he only gets patients and revenue by referrals. By referral. So if the doctors in that town don't refer to him, he's in trouble. So, so he's being rejected not only on the macro scale of the medical establishment, he's also being rejected in the micro level. That's right. By people around him, yes. by other doctors who would need a referral. That's right. And it doesn't matter what else he does, because this is not his only thing. Yes. You know, an ear surgeon doesn't just deal with vertigo. That's right. It doesn't matter. They wouldn't send him for for regardless. Yeah. That's that's a shame. Because he has a pet theory. A pet. Th yeah. <laughs> I love the quotation marks. Yeah. Pet theory. That's right. Wow. So when, I mean, I, I really want to know. There's a bit of redemption here. Does he see redemption himself? Well, he does. When you go in, when you would, if you would go visit him, like in the mid '80s or early '90s. You'd have a hard time getting to see him because his waiting room would be full, but there'd be people from around the world, around the U.S. There'd be people, because he is still a specialist and quite renowned, and so his waiting room would be full. It wouldn't necessarily be people from Portland, sure. but so um, he, he and he eventually, some of his articles get published, and also, uh, which which is the, another good thing about a, a peer-reviewed journal, is somebody else will try to replicate your results. And so so somebody else submitted almost an identical, you know, research study saying we did this with these type of vertigo people and 95% success rate. So because, and this was in the New England Journal of Medicine. So this was another prestigious thing, not not just the O, the o journal for ears. This is in the a more um, general medical journal, but it was a different author. And so this this article came out actually, I think about two years before his case with the Oregon Medical Board was resolved. Okay. So it was published as he was going through uh, a, a trial by fire. He almost lost his license. Oh, wow. Because some of his peers in Portland reported him to the Oregon Medical Examiner Board, who can pull your license. Right, and, right. And, um, and this took five years. It took five years to resolve. 
And um, so this this article was published. Uh, he had people would speak on his behalf to the medical board. And um, but, but through yep. all of this, yep. we have a we have a really simple. I mean, he's put together different approaches, different ways to do it for different kinds of vertigo. But it's fairly simple. It's very simple. And he's still, throughout all of this, still applying this wherever he can. Yes. And you're talking about it today. Yes. Is this something that you do yourself yes. to help people? Like yes. you don't have to be a doctor. And obviously this is not a medical advice show or anything yes. like that. But you as a physiotherapist can have somebody come in to have therapy for, like, would you get a referral from a family physician for this? Or do you like apply it as part of your physio for another thing that this happens to come up do you know what i mean well if somebody if somebody says that they have vertical like they have a sense of something spinning you would always check for that first it's the first thing you would check yeah if i if if you um one of your soccer players had a concussion we would check for it even if they like it's why do you think they have vertigo i mean they just had a concussion they don't have this ear thing well but you sometimes you check uh, someone with a concussion and they do they do have the BPPV in addition to other um, issues with their vestibular system or their sure. neck or vision or something. But to answer your question, um, physiotherapists in Ontario don't need a referral from a physician. Okay. So if you say you could, not that I'm telling people to go to see me immediately, but <laughs> but just to say that if any if you had vertigo, you could see a, a physiotherapist in in Ontario without a doctor's note. And, and you should not wait to see a doctor, in my opinion, as a physiotherapist, um, <laughs> because that means you're waiting and waiting and waiting and, and you're just getting sicker and sicker and maybe falling and, and, um, so and this it's not is just a physio, a chiropractor, massage therapist, anybody can do this maneuver. And it sounds like something you don't have to worry about because I mean, if somebody, when it comes to something like chiropractic, am I saying that right? Chiropractic? Practory? Practory? Chiropractologist. <laughs> Uh, I, I just yes. made that word up. Yeah, no. So, so in, in with a chiropractor, you can be hesitant about and be fearful of and say, you know what? I need to learn more about the fact that they manipulate the spine, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I get that. Yeah. But this is actually something where they're not manipulating yeah. joints except that's right. the neck that's, that's already right. moving. That's right. And it's, and it's just moving the body around. That's right. And chiropractors would, I mean, you could ask the chiropractor, do you know how to do this? Um, but most chiropractors would just because it's such a, uh, a very common problem. Yeah. And if someone has dizziness, it could be coming from their neck and maybe they do need their neck treated, but it could be coming from this BPPV. Yeah. So massage therapists, physios, um, because we're all regulated professionals, you would be safe with them. But honestly, if you, if you say it's a, a Saturday, Brent, and your friend is, has vertigo, you would just Google BPPV. There's something called the Epley Maneuver. Okay. And you would look at it on YouTube and you'd go, okay, let's try it. And you would do it. And you can, you can literally figure it out online. I'll, I'll leave the, um, I'll leave some notes for you to put on your, your Oh, um, sure. Yeah. On the podcast. show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, so some of these, the one video I'm going to give you, uh, was put out by a physiotherapist, um, at the beginning of COVID. And she's like, okay, I can't see patients, but people have this problem here's what you need to do everybody. And so she, she put together this, this video. It has over a million hits. Amazing. It's very, and it's, she's, she's very good at explaining it and shows you how to do it and what not to do and how to follow it up afterwards. Yeah. We'll definitely put that up on the blog so post it's a fairly, for the episode yeah. for sure. So the problem is it's not always, so that the Epley maneuver is for one particular, one of these canals yeah. with the most common one. 
But if it happens to be on the right as well as the left, it gets complicated. Okay. Or if it's if it's this if it's a top one as well as the more common one, it can be complicated. So it it doesn't work for everybody because you could have something complicated going on. Right. But it, the first it, the first stage is something you can try to see. There's no reason not yeah. to. Oh wow! And and that's um, that's that honestly is, that's incredible. It is incredible. But you can take something so like ninety five percent effective for that one thing, and you can just try it yourself. You don't have to worry about new medications. You don't have to worry about new kinds of yeah. exercises yeah. or strength training. You just got, it's, yeah. why not give it a try? Exactly. That's incredible. Now, how often do incredible. you in your practice perform the Epley maneuver? Or I guess since you mentioned there are other maneuvers uh -huh. that have sort of spun off of it, how yeah. often do you do these maneuvers for, for vertigo? So I, so I do the test that he developed for everybody who has dizziness. Okay. So it, even if, whether there's a car accident or a sports injury or sure. a fall. So I, I would do that for every concussion, everybody. So that's a lot. Every, everybody. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. So yeah. And, um, and if I actually, honestly, if you had vertigo, I would just hope it's the, the, the one that's kind of more straightforward Sure. because it's just magic. It's wonderful. And the person kind of goes, Oh. I feel better now. I was feeling terrible for the last two weeks. Wow. And they look at you like you're a genius and you're like, um, actually, you should give, to thank Dr. Epley. <laughs> yep. we got to give credit to Dr. Epley. Yeah. Who I think we've shown uh, that he had, did he ever get sort of uh, vindicated from the medical yes, he side did. of things? Yes, Good. he did. So he, he was cleared by this medical board in 2000, right. 2001. That is, wow. That's like 10 years after the And age. yeah, wow. and he was in his seventies at the time wow. and he was still working. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, um, and he continued to teach people. Um, he, he had over a thousand people at, at one of the California, um, uh, ear doctor presentation things. More people would go to his presentations at these medical symposiums than anybody that he had. He got the most of anybody who would teach classes. Um, he, and, and physiotherapists and other people would learn from it as well. He, his little NASA chair that he made, not a little NASA chair, but basically it's a, it was a chair that could be rotated in 360 degrees. Now that I did see in the yes. notes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty it's, cool. It looks like a gimbal. It does, like, yes. Or like a, one of those yeah. things you buy to test, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It is a gyroscope. Yes. It looks like a gyroscope. Yes. Yes. So he can rotate people around. So, you know, if it was, if it was you, Brent, we, you could lie down, I could move. But yeah. if you had a, a very badly injured neck, you couldn't move your neck that way. No. So, if, but you if you're in fast, this chair, you yes. could secure them. They could be stabilized, yes. and they could still do some of these motions. Hundred percent. So this, yeah. So that chair, um, yeah. he actually, his family sold the the rights to it once he he actually unfortunately had a stroke, um, and so the last ten years of his life he wasn't working, but he was right. working until he was seventy nine years old. Wow. He was he was in he was in clinic three days a week, yeah. and the other two days a week he was in the lab working on how to make better instruments. Just an incredible guy. Yeah. yeah. So he, so he did, um, finally, he was finally vindicated and I think his family made some money off when they sold this, this, uh, the rights to this chair. The chair. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he was absolutely, uh, uh, so he, he, um, he would have known that when you Googled BPBV, his name would come up. That is super cool. Yeah. And, um, and his daughter, so the reason I found out about this whole story was his daughter came on one of the podcasts that I listened to. And she was just talking about What's it. What's the podcast name? Do you remember? Um, it's it's called uh, Talk Dizzy to Me, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good podcast. Uh, and it's, some of it is for the public and some of it is for people who deal with dizziness okay. problems, okay. vertigo, vestibular sure. stuff. 
um, and they just interviewed this person and, and they were just, the two therapists, the two physios who were in, who were, um, interviewing her, they just were so grateful to her father through her because they just know that his contribution to making people feel better was immeasurable. Hmm. And in such a simple way. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of hoping that this is a small rejected central tribute to him as well. Dr. John Epley. Yeah. Much respect. Yes. Um, I, I think that's where we'll, we'll finish yeah. off. And uh, I, I like the idea that we were able to elevate the rejection experience by showing how he was unrejected. And just by the fact that it's so widely used, yes. by that you're talking about it so freely with me, yes. definitely unrejected. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us. My great pleasure, Brent. All right, so there you have it. The first listener-driven Rejected Central episode. Super exciting. Thanks again to Margaret Wilding for hanging out and sharing her stories and her expertise. It's over to you, listener. We know you have rejection stories and ideas, and we'd love to hear from you. Reach out through rejectedcentral.com, email us at rejectedcentral8 at gmail.com, or through Twitter, X, Instagram, or Facebook. And just a reminder, this could be anonymous. So if you're a little nervous about putting your name on one of these stories or ideas, that's totally fine. We're not journalists. We are answering to no one. <laughs> so please do share. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.